bet they're really getting confidence now. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Cuddy and the Cooge. We've had a few weeks hiatus, you know, kicking off the summer the correct way. We went to, uh, we went camping. I got COVID. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Cuddy got the cove, finally. I know, I know. uh, It was a a bad situation of all things. First, First of all, last year, two years ago, I got inducted to the College of Physical Activity Sports Science uh, College Hall of Fame, which is where I graduated from at West Virginia. Last year, they sent me a letter saying they're disbanding the college. So, <laughs> so, so I, that's guess, out. I guess I no longer have that Hall of Fame. <laughs> and then I get inducted into the UNLV Athletic Hall of Fame. And the day I'm supposed to fly out there for that, I get COVID. So I don't want any more Hall of Fame <laughs> issues. Yeah. Oh, yeah. First world problems, dude. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so we had that happen. We had some vacations. And now you know, we're back. Kicking off the uh, summer the right way. But we're back and we're ready to to keep it going. We have some a great guest today and we have some great ones lined up after this. So. I'll turn it over to the Cuddy here to bring right. on today's guest. Yeah, well, you know, I, I mentioned Hall of Fame. If it wasn't for this gentleman, I I probably would have been in the coal mines in West <laughs> Virginia. Um, but, Might be where but, you would have should have belonged. Probably, <laughs> yeah, should have. Uh, uh, many, many years ago, um, when I was a student at West Virginia, our guest, Glenn Johnson, was the head football trainer. Uh, at West Virginia University and kind of took me under his wings because I wasn't the most stellar student uh, in the program. And uh, and so I, I have some stories about that too, how I got to where I'm at. But uh, but Glenn certainly was a great mentor for me and, and really uh, helped me get to where I really am today. Well, sure to where I am today. I'm retired. He didn't help me get to retirement, but he helped me get through my career. But anyway, Glenn has left West Virginia, went to medical school, and has been an orthopedic surgeon now for over 30 years, I think 32, 33 years. I'm sorry, 37 or 38 years um, in St. Louis. And so, Glenn, thanks for taking the time to be with Cuddy and the Cooge today. I appreciate the invite, and it's a real honor to uh, sit down with you and uh, spend time again with you. I know we, you know, we always talk about this with our guests, and and just in general, you know, it, there's people in your life that you can go months, if not years, and not talk to a lot or be around a lot, but when you reconnect, it's like you never separated. You know, and yeah. you're yeah. definitely kind of one of those people. So, well, <laughs> ditto back at you. So, yeah, and we we go back a lot. I mean, it's uh, it's been fun to watch you grow up as an athletic trainer, and uh, you beat me to retirement. I got another year and a half to go before I call <laughs> uh, it quits. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, the other thing that I, I've thought, like when I we have guests, I it's kind of weird because when 
you were the, you know, athletic trainer at WVU, and I would come into the training room. I was, you know, intimidated of you. I mean, you know, as a student, you know, you're the guy, and um, and you think of you like as an old person, <laughs> but but, <laughs> but in reality, you probably weren't. You know, you're not much older than I am. You know, but you look at that. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird because when I went to um, UNLV, you know, I got the job at 25. So some of the student athletes were like 22, 23. But, you know, I looked at them as like young kids, but they were right behind me, you know. So yeah, that was my exact experience. Uh, uh, my second job was the head trainer at the University of Colorado, and I was 25. And at that time, the youngest head major college trainer in the country and uh, I was just 25. And actually, I was uh, taking care of athletes that I went to school with two years earlier. Yeah. So these guys <laughs> were friends, and now I'm their trainer. And uh, that's all started at uh, Colorado. Um, and then uh, one year at Colorado, uh, West Virginia hired me. I went to West Virginia and had a great experience. Um, and, it, and as you uh, attest to as well, things that happen in life happen for a reason and everything just dropped in line with me. Every job, uh, along the way was just, uh, something that led me to where I am today. And, and, uh, if it hadn't happened that way, I wouldn't be here doing this. Yeah. So it's kind of an ironic twist to all this, but, uh, um, I really cherished my years at West Virginia and I, uh, still cherish, and follow my student trainers, you being one and, and, uh, you know, Greg Robertson and, uh, Coer and all those guys. Uh, the biggest project was probably Chad Starkey and he probably has got more accolades <laughs> than anybody else in the country that grew up with. Well, I've, I've talked about Chad cause I don't know if you remember this though, but, um, you know, when I first got into the program, it was like April that you got admitted. And, and I mean, literally I was rooming over in Westover in some old trailer with a pharmacy student. And, uh, I got up one morning. I mean, I hadn't been in the program a week. I got up in the morning and all of us, I got all these patches all over my body. So I go to the student (laughs) health center and the date lady says, Oh, you got chicken pox. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And so I go back to my, my trailer. And of course my farm, the pharmacy student flips out, you know, he's like, Oh man, you, you know, you can't stay here. You So I, you know, I probably went to spike or you or somebody and said, you know, I got chicken pox and I had to go home. Well, so I go home and you know, the doctor said I had to be out for like a week. Well, then when I came back, I had that, that I forget her name, but she taught kinesiology and uh, she was an older woman. And, uh, so by the time I got back, I had missed a test. She wouldn't let me make the test up. And oh long, long story made short, I got a D in the class and I was panicked because I thought, Oh Christ, I'm going to get thrown out of here. And, you know, <laughs> and I remember I came to you and I, I know you probably don't remember. And I, I said, you know, Glenn, I'm just going to be honest. I got a D. What's that mean? And am I out of the program? And you're like, ah, you know, don't worry about it. You, you won't need much of that anyway. Just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> and I can't tell you what a relief that was, you know? 
But then go one step farther. So after that year, my first uh, student assignment, like I was the, the next guy up and the guy that I got assigned to was Chad Starkey. And I thought for sure dealing with him, I was going to get thrown out of the program. (laughs) And like you said, now he's like, he writes books and, and you co-editor books with him, right? Yeah. I was a co-editor. Yeah. Yeah. Athletic, athletic training text. Yeah. But man, why didn't you uh, take some notes on Glenn when I came to you and had a D? Because <laughs> that was not the reaction I got to having D's. Yeah, because you thought D's were good. <laughs> That's the difference. I thought I was getting thrown out of the program. <laughs> my daughter comes and tells my wife, well, I got a D. <laughs> like, that's supposed to be good. Right? D's get degrees, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Chad, man, he, you know, he had that old van. And we got our first assignment was soccer at like six in the morning at the old stadium. And, uh, you know, it was hit or miss whether he'd be there. And then (laughs) he got to the point where sometimes I think he just parked in and slept in that van and then came right into the train. But he's a good guy, man. He's done very, very well in the profession for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, Glenn, take us back a little bit. You you touched on it, but kind of, you know, where did you come from? How did you kind of get into this, well, into ath- right. athletic training and then and so on and so forth? All right. Well, my his I grew up in Boulder, Colorado and went to University of Colorado undergraduate. I started out in electrical engineering because my dad was electronic technician. My mom was a physical therapist. So I was kind of looking at electrical engineering. So my freshman year at Colorado, I got a C in physics. <laughs> physics and I just didn't see eye to eye. It was something that uh, the only C in college I got was in physics. So I got out of uh, electrical engineering and went into pre-med biology, major chemistry minor. And stayed with that, took the MCATs uh, at that time were different than the MCATs now. The MCAT is an entrance exam that uh, everybody has to take while they're applying to med school. Um, And uh, I did okay. I didn't do anything stellar. uh, But from a um, maturity standpoint, I didn't feel I was ready to go to medical school. Um, And I I was on scholarship at the University of Colorado with the athletic department for athletic training. And in those days, there was no academic coursework. There was no curriculum for athletic training. It was all uh, apprenticeship uh, programs. So I was an apprentice and had a scholarship uh, as a student athletic trainer. And the uh, scholarship was a progressive one. So the first year you got books, second year you got books, fees, and uh, meals. The next year, you got books, fees, and tuition. And then following year, you got all a full ride or whatever. So it was a progressive thing. And the longer you stayed with it, uh, the more you got. And I really enjoyed it. But I still was in pre-med all the way through. And then in the fall of my senior year, I think we played the University of Kansas. Uh, and 
we lost. And I was supposed to drive my family to Texas. My mother grew up in Waxahachie, Texas, and we were going to go down for Thanksgiving, and I was going to be the primary driver. And I said, I don't want to go to Texas for Thanksgiving. I've got one more ball game. I've got one more football game before the football season is over. We lost last week, and I'd like to go out on a winning note rather than a losing note. So next week we are playing Kansas, Kansas State, I think. We lost to Kansas the second to last game. We lost to Kansas State the last game. So I still ended on a losing note. But, you know, I got to doing some real soul searching and decided that I wanted to be an athletic trainer. And so I went into the head trainer. There was a head trainer and assistant trainer. I went into the office at CU and uh, said, you know, I really think I want to be an athletic trainer. And uh, what do I need to do? And they said, well, you need to get on the NATA uh, watch list or the job job list so that they send you jobs for graduate assistantship. They said, you probably need to get a graduate assistantship. And this was in the fall. So spring, I dropped my electives and started taking kinesiology and uh, some other things that were in the School of Physical Education that had to do with athletic training and and movement analysis and things like that. So kind of switch gears there. The uh, <laughs> second uh, going into second uh, or my last semester of uh, college. And then in the flyer that came around that kind of gave job uh, availabilities and graduate assistantships, there was one that came across for a graduate assistantship at a place called Northwest Missouri State University in Maryville, Missouri. And uh, is that a little drop in the bucket? Uh, <laughs> not much more than Fairmont, Jerry. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, I went in and asked him, what about this position? Hey, they, and Bud Tice was the trainer. So they said, well, we know him. Well, let's just call it. So my interview for that graduate assistantship was on the phone. And I got the offer that day on the phone to be a graduate assistant uh, at Northwest Missouri uh, for uh, the athletics there. Uh, I had met my wife at her sister's uh, wedding and uh, we were married my senior year of college. And at that time, Bud didn't know I was married. I wasn't married at the time I got the job, but we show, I show up in Maryville with a wife and <laughs> I don't know if he was prepared for that. He wanted somebody to horse around uh, with that he could go to Columbia and uh, other places. We still did that, but uh, <laughs> Debbie, Debbie was part of the equation. <laughs> so I got my teaching certificate uh, and my master's in biology education in uh, a summer and regular school semester, uh, fall and uh, spring. So three semesters at Northwest, and I got teaching certificate and a major uh, in biology education. Um, this teaching certificate's a lifelong science teaching certificate for the state of Missouri, so I can retire and teach if I want to. Not that I do, but <laughs> there was a guy, uh, Maryville, or Northwest Missouri State, was in a conference called the MIAA, the Missouri Intercollegiate Athletic Association, and it was basically – Missouri State Schools. So there was Northwest, Northeast, Southwest, Southeast, Lincoln, and 
another couple uh, state universities that were in the MIAA. And there was a trainer down at uh, Southeast Missouri State. His name was Red Williams. And as spring was coming in in my graduate year, um, one of Red's friends in Texas called him and said, we just lost our trainer. Do you know anybody that's looking for a job? So Red knew that I was, you know, going to finish up my graduate assistantship. He called Bud, talked to Bud, and uh, Bud said, well, I have it lined up where he, I'm looking for a job to, to move. And I've talked to the president and the athletic director, and it's, I've cleared the way for Glenn to be the new trainer at Northwest. But that's the contingent on me finding a job somewhere else. Well, it got to be spring break and still no movement on the uh, Northwest Missouri State front. So I uh, uh, called down to uh, Arlington, Texas, where this high school uh, was located and uh, arranged to drive down there. So my wife and I drove down and interviewed at Arlington High School. It's a 5A high school in Texas. And anybody that knows what Texas football is, uh, you know, Texas football in high school, spring football brings the ninth graders up and it's full pads and full contact at Northwest Missouri, which is a division two school. We were in shoulder pads and shorts for spring ball. We didn't even have contact. <laughs> so it, it was an amazing transition going from a small college to major high school. Uh, and so I was, a, I must've missed a meeting or something. I was the district health coordinator. So I taught health uh, anatomy and physiology to my student trainers and was the trainer for athletics at Arlington High School for a year. During that year, there was a cost-cutting process going on at the University of Colorado. They, they did away with the assistant trainer's position and one secretary, which that was how the athletic department cut. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, the trainers are usually at the bottom of the barrel anyway. So um, the guy that I trained under, the assistant, he was let go. And then the head trainer was still there. But he went to the athletic director and said, I need to have a graduate assistantship and I need a raise for if I'm going to do this. Well, the athletic director turned him down on the on both fronts. So Rich quit and went to work for IBM, which was a good move on his part, uh, just from a professional standpoint, just to get out from that. So I was the only student trainer that continued at, in athletic training. And equipment manager said, well, why don't, you know, Johnson's the only one that really stayed with it. He knows the doctors, he knows the system, uh, and he knows the athletes for the most part. Why don't you see if he's willing to come back? So two years after graduation from college, I get called and interviewed with um, the University of Colorado Athletic Department. So before I went up there, they explained what was going on. And I called Rich uh, and just asked uh, him, why did he quit? So basically, uh, he said that uh, he quit because they fired Andy and they wouldn't give him a graduate assistant and they wouldn't give him a raise. So I said, well, do you mind what I asked what he was asking for. So he gave me that stuff. So in the interview, Colorado, they asked, what did it take to get me there? And this is early August, late July, and two days are going to start in two weeks. So, yeah. I mean, they're, you know, not that I had them over a barrel, but I had them over a barrel. 
Yeah. <laughs> so basically, they gave me what they had denied Rich to have. Oh I, got a, I got a graduate assistant, and I got what he was asking for for a salary. Wow. And so they moved us up, and I, I started right away at, at Colorado. Well, what happened with that was in order for me to get the job, they hired me on an emergency basis, bypassing any affirmative action committees and stuff just because they had to get somebody in. And they said, they told me up front that in the spring, they would have to re-advertise the job and go through the proper process, but it would be pretty much, you know, a stamped thing where they just continue being the trainer. So it got into the spring and everybody else was getting their contracts. I didn't have a contract. So I went in and asked, you know, everybody's got their contracts for next year. Uh, where's mine? And they said, well, we're trying to uh, work through some things and uh, there's going to be a little bit of a delay and all this stuff. So it's coming up to the NATA in June and I still don't have a contract and supposed to, contracts are supposed to be initiated July 1st. So I go into the athletic director and I said, you know, our national meeting is coming up. Is there a reason that I need to be looking for a job or is this going to be something for me? And they said, well, the committee wants to uh, look at a couple other candidates. So you just have to wait. And I said, well, you know, it's a little tenuous me uh, waiting here and not having anything in hand coming up in July. And at that point, everybody else is going to be taken their jobs are going to be filled so he said well you got to do what you got to do so that year the nata the national athletic trainers association meeting was in uh, dearborn michigan and west virginia had lost bud bud had moved on to uh the buffalo bills as the assistant trainer so west virginia was in the process of looking for a trainer as well and they uh, wanted to hire the assistant at the University of Illinois, but uh, Rod's wife didn't want to move from Champaign and basically was kind of digging her heels in. So this kind of falls into what I was saying, that things happen for a reason and that it's weird and ironic how things fall into place. But last day of the convention, I'm riding down the elevator with John Spiker. <laughs> and so I tell John, I said, you know, I know you're looking at Rod and, uh, you know, have offered him and stuff like that. I've kind of heard the rumblings. I'm in sort of a precarious position that I don't know if I'm going to have a contract. So if things work out that you're still have an opening, you know, when Rod uh, decides what he wants to do, give me a call. So it was probably mid July. I get a call from John and said, uh, that the assistant at the University of Illinois turned them down and they're opening the position up again. They're looking for a trainer. Would I be interested in moving from Colorado to West Virginia? Well, the year before the uh, uh, Dearborn NATA, the NATA was in Boston and Bill Flinchy, who is a trainer at Rolla, uh, and I flew into Pittsburgh and Bud and Bill Flinchy and I drove from Morgantown to Boston and just kind of enjoyed the trip. But I had seen Morgantown and <laughs> I, I, uh, it's a dirty little coal mining town. Yeah. <laughs> and so I told John, if 
you want me to come out and interview, I'm happy to do that, but you have to fly my wife out. She has to be part of the decision and she needs to see Morgantown. <laughs> and we love Morgantown. We lived there for eight years and have great fond memories of it, but she had to be part of the decision. So we flew out to uh, Pittsburgh and drove down to Morgantown and interviewed. And at Colorado, Debbie wasn't real enamored with the job description that I had to live with. Uh, I had a graduate assistant, but I had no assistant. I traveled with football, basketball, and men's skiing. Well, in skiing, uh, skiing at that time was seven or eight times defending national champs. And the head coach ended up being the Olympic uh, director for skiing. So it was a pretty high-profile program, and they wanted a trainer with them. And basketball trips in Colorado were five-day trips because it was you were in the Big Eight and you had to travel distance and distances like you'd fly in and you'd uh, play Kansas and on a Saturday and then you'd stay around and play Kansas State on Monday and the same thing you'd do at Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and then same thing the other two were uh, Iowa State and Mizzou so it was always travel and it was always five days out and. It was only our third year of marriage, so it wasn't uh, a real conducive uh, uh, <laughs> environment. <laughs> environment or schedule to live with. So, uh, moving to West Virginia, I only worked football uh, or only traveled football. I worked wrestling, uh, home wrestling, and gymnastics, uh, but it just covered the home events, so that didn't mean anything as far as travel was. And I was also an associate professor in the School of Physical Education, teaching in the athletic training curriculum. So. From a professional uh, advancement standpoint, uh, West Virginia was much better, and I got a, a more money too. Um, <laughs> but it, it was a better job than uh, Colorado for, in all aspects. Even though we were home, living at home, and uh, we were both from Boulder, um, West Virginia was the right move. So, what is what was going on? The School of Physical Education. Uh, in order for me to continue in the athletic training, wanted a terminal degree from me. So that was either a PhD or uh, physical therapy, like Spiker and uh, Kegris were. Yep. So I looked into uh, trying to generate a master's uh, or a PhD program, which is now a requirement for physical therapists, but a PhD program with physical therapy program at West Virginia. Well, uh, it was Patronus and uh, Burkhart were the kind of the directors and uh, it just didn't uh, fall into what uh, their plans uh, for the program was. And, you know, it was sort of a pipe dream on my part, I think, uh, to try to do that. And the PhD in uh, School of Physical Education, I wasn't gonna do anything different with it than I was. And I didn't have enough hours in physical education courses to even qualify for a master's program, much less a PhD program. <laughs> so that things didn't work. So I started playing around going back to my pre-med uh, background at uh, Colorado and thinking about applying to medical school. So this, this genesis started in the fourth year of my athletic training. And the other thing that was happening is that our family was developing. We had two kids and we were always trying to get back to Colorado for holidays. And we were displaced uh, a long way and it was difficult to go away uh, for holidays and stuff. So we would go to 
St. Louis, and that was happening when we were at Morgantown, uh, St. Louis was always a little easier to get to. And so St. Louis, as it comes into the story a little bit later, was our second home. Anyway, I'm playing around with the idea in the spring about going to medical school. The MCATs had changed. They did a different they uh, did a different test type thing, which was testing more specifically. And uh, then there was a general knowledge portion, but it uh, it seemed like it was going to be a, a little bit better test for me to take uh, and do well on than the old MCATs were. Well, interesting. We, Debbie and I were talking about it and playing around with it. And one of my student trainers <laughs> had gone to Eastern Michigan uh, for his graduate assistantship and came back. Uh, Rick Bagliani came over to the house and said, you know, I'm thinking about applying to medical school. And I said, Rick, I've been playing around with the same idea. So every morning of the entire summer, Rick and I studied for the MCATs. MCATs were somewhere on a set. I missed a football game. It was a home football game. We were playing Virginia. <laughs> Remember all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and MCATs were that Saturday, and uh, Rick and I took the MCATs. And MCATs were good, uh, with physics being the high score. The thing that boosted me as much as anything is that I had straight A's in, the, in graduate school at Northwest Missouri State, which really boosted uh, my science great GPA and my general GPA. So, and I had great letters from doctors that were my team physicians when I was a trainer. So all I needed to do is show that I was competitive, but I hadn't lost knowledge on my MCATs and that happened. So Rick and I both applied to, to medical school. I got accepted uh, and Rick did not. <laughs> And Rick, Rick went to the admissions committee and asked him uh, what, you know, what the problem was. What could he do to enhance his application for the following year? And they said at that time, and I still think they do a lot of this, the, the weeder classes, they have specific classes that they look at how you performed. And they sort of have an idea that that's how you're going to perform med school as well. And one of the weeder classes was organic chemistry. Well, I was chemistry minor i had a's in organic chemistry uh rick had a c so they said that your organic chemistry score brought you down uh and uh, so he retook organic got an a in organic reapplied and got in the next year uh and the interesting thing each freshman med student gets a sophomore counselor so to speak it's second year student gives the first year kind of you know, some guidelines and stuff like that. So I became Rick's mentor. So he's the one that got me into it, but then I, I got to help him through the whole. So that was kind of neat. Um, med school is uh, four years long. It uh, first two years are all didactic. It's all coursework. I did fine. Uh, no big deal. But I excelled when it got to the last two years, which are all clinical. So the first uh, two years are didactic, all book work. The next uh, two years are all um, taking care of patients and uh, being on the floor and just learning the different uh, aspects of medicine. And because I'd been an athletic trainer, I kind of uh, knew how to 
be a people person. And if you can handle an athlete, usually you can handle a patient. Yeah. So actually I got honors uh, and graduated with honors because of my maturity that I, I was older than the rest of the class or for the, a lot of the class. So that maturity level and the ability to develop a rapport quickly with the patients uh, is really what uh, set me ab- above others uh, because they had just come out of undergraduate and go right into it. They, you know, they kind of thrown into the fire. So I'd already been through the fire and had put some of those fires out. So I knew how to do that. And that helped. And uh, then you're looking for residencies and orthopedic. I want to do orthopedics. I want to do sports medicine. That was kind of a given from the minute I walked into uh, med school that, you know, I was going to be sports medicine, whether I'd be an orthopedic surgeon or a family practitioner specializing in sports medicine kind of depended on how I did and I knew I wanted to do surgery so on my uh, when I developed my third year of uh, medical uh, school I chose to do surgery last because I had everything else that I didn't want to judge against surgery having a good experience there so I did it last knowing that I'd like it anyway Um, but I did well and everything uh pediatrics and psych and all those things were fine but then your fourth year you uh, at West Virginia you are required to be on campus six months out of the 12 for rotations in different phases of medicine Uh, so I was looking at orthopedic surgery so I uh, did orthopedic surgery rotation at West Virginia but then you could go outside of that uh, and for six months if you remember, we had that old uh, customized van, yeah. And uh, so we were a turtle. We just carried our house on our back, and and kids weren't in school yet. We packed their bikes, and they were learning to ride bikes. Eric learned to ride his bike uh, in Arizona when I was doing a rotation in Arizona for <laughs> uh, that stuff. But I did sub internships, which is what you kind of do as you're looking for a residency. A sub internship is in orthopedics was basically just trying to see the programs that you were rotating through at different uh, universities or different residency programs. And so I did a sub-internship in Michigan at at Blodgett Butterworth. Each rotation is about three weeks long. I did one at Scott and White Hospital in Texas. I did one in Omaha, Nebraska. So anyway, you're kind of going along around the country. And we were, we had the luxury that the kids didn't, they weren't in school. So we kind of took them with us and we went all over the country from, we drove through uh, Canada and New York, Niagara Falls over to uh, Michigan where I did that first sub internship and we were all the way down into Arizona. And I said, St. Louis kind of became our second home during our time at uh, Maryville and at uh, West Virginia. So this, I don't know if you've ever been to St. Louis, but the big hospital in St. Louis is Barnes Hospital. And this thing is like 16 stories tall or maybe 20 stories tall. And it's just gargantuan. I just applied so I could get a uh, tour of this place. This thing was just huge. But interestingly, as I uh, interviewed around the country at different places, uh, Barnes, uh, Washington University in St. Louis was the best residency program uh, that I looked at and f- was fortunate enough to uh, match into that uh, program. And that's where I spent five years. Uh, so 
Uh, we family moved from West Virginia to St. Louis, and we lived on the hill. If you remember the hill, you went to dinner there on the hill when you when you were in town. Yeah, that's right. I do remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it was for the NAT or something. We went all down yeah. to Regat on the yeah. hill. So we lived on the hill, and and uh, Barnes was you know ten minutes away at best. So it was real convenient, and it was a great residency program. But I still wanted to do more orthopedics, sports medicine. So I uh, applied to a fellowship in Indianapolis, which I got introduced to the guy that I ended up doing the fellowship with through Dave Hammer, who was the assistant trainer with the Colts right. at the time. Yeah. And so Hammer, it was Hammer and uh, Debbie and I all went to Shelbourne's house and sat down and he didn't have a fellowship at the time. And we kind of talked him into developing a fellowship and uh, end up being, he still has fellows and stuff. So it ended up being a good thing for him and a great thing for me. And that's where I spent a year um, in Indianapolis working with uh, the Indianapolis Colts and uh, Shelbourne. During that time, I got to be associated with U.S. soccer and traveled internationally as a team physician with the U.S. soccer national teams. And that's I stayed doing that for about 10 years after even starting my solo practice. So that's where the soccer interest came. Uh, in 1991, I was on the podium for the World Championship Gymnastics uh, just through association with uh, Methodist Sports Medicine and uh, Marge Albaum. I know that name. All the names I think you probably remember. Uh, yeah. Marge kind of was the director of the medical part uh, um, of the World Ch Champion Gymnastics, which was being held in Indianapolis. So I had started uh, my practice here in St. Louis, but they asked if I wouldn't mind coming back and uh, being a one of the physicians uh, for the uh, World Championship Gymnastics that was being held in Indianapolis uh, in 91. Let's see, what else? So when I was in residency, I started teaching uh, classes at the School of Physical Education at Washington University. They uh, developed a program. Me and a the, the therapist developed a program for the physical therapist, and it was called Orthopedics for Physical Therapists or something like that. So I would, I would teach the pathology, and then uh, Janet would uh, do the rehab stuff. So that was a whole semester long. And that I did that while I was in residency. And when I came back to private practice, uh, they asked if I wanted to do that. I said, well, I can't do every week doing that for the semester. I'll do two lectures. So I did a knee lecture and a sports medicine lecture every year. Well, it turned out when I was teaching during residency, there were three students that graduated and they partnered and developed a physical therapy uh, group in town and uh, they came to me and asked if I wouldn't mind doing a high school uh, team physician thing so at one point early in my career I was team physician for three high schools at the same time one of the high schools didn't have lights so that was a Saturday game so that never was in conflict with the other two but interestingly in two or three years that I did it there was never a conflict between the two high schools for home football so I was covering all the time yeah. uh, during football season uh, for that. I uh, had 
a kid call me from Northwest Missouri State that was graduating and had been offered the position as an athletic trainer at Missouri Baptist University. And they had not had an athletic trainer there before. They didn't have a team position. So David Colt called me and asked if uh, I wouldn't mind being the team physician for Missouri Baptist University. So I accepted that. And actually, DJ, who came as the trainer, lived in our basement for a while until he got a, a house <laughs> somewhere. So anyway, I've been a team physician for Missouri Baptist University for the last 25 years uh, and still am. Uh, I also am orthopedic consultant for three other universities in town. I don't travel with U.S. soccer anymore. Uh, I did that for about 10 years, but still get invited to be the host position when U.S. soccer comes to town and plays at Cardinal Stadium or something like that, uh, Bush Stadium, um, just to be a liaison. And I was invited, Debbie and I were invited to go to Germany uh, as part of the friends and family program when the U.S. was playing in the World Cup in Germany that year. Wow. Um, so I still have pretty close ties to U.S. soccer, uh, gymnastics uh, clubs in town know me. Uh, so I have a lot of uh, gymnastics uh, exposure just because of uh, friendships and, and uh, gyms that we have been associated with as far as covering meets and things like that. So, so Glenn, I wanted to um, I kind of wanted to touch on something you said a little bit earlier. First of all, great career. Sorry, take notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I take some notes so that I can go back to things. But sounds like you've had a, a really great career with, uh, you know, lots of different things going on. But just so I'm clear. So right now you have a general practice, but then these are like kind of the side things that you do as like team physicians and things like that. Well, I've got a general practice with an emphasis in sports medicine. Okay. And my main interest is in lower extremity. So, you know, I don't do shoulder surgery. I don't do hip surgery, but I've got six other partners that send me all their knees and ankle stuff. Mm. Um, so I've been able to streamline the practice the way I wanted to. And part of the reason, part of the way that that happened was being able to do a fellowship and establish sort of a, uh, a area of uh, special interest in you know, especially the knee or lower extremity. Um, and then also had the luxury to work with partners who sort of one has a special interest in uh, shoulders, another one in hand, and then another one in hip. So we've kind of divvied up the body a little bit and uh, we share uh, referrals uh, within that. So the, it's a general practice with, you know, special interest yeah. in sports medicine. A lot of the partners won't see kids younger than, you know, 13 or 14. Well, I see kids at six who are gymnasts or soccer players. And, right. Bum uh, their knee know, up. Yeah. It's just part of, part of the practice that way. And that, that's kind of, Glenna, like when you first got into med school, probably, I know when I first went to UNLV, you know, my team orthopedic guy, he did everything, you know, backs, yeah. shoulders, necks. I mean, the whole nine yards and then it started becoming more specialized. And then we had to figure out as athletic trainers, I know how to branch out and, you know, get more hand specialists and get more right. shoulder guys. Right. And that's kind of the way it's evolved, I believe. Yeah. And, and I think that a lot of people's philosophy has turned to do a few things really well 
don't do a lot of things half-ass or okay. You know, it's yeah. do and do it well. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't practice outside your comfort zone. So there's a lot of that going on now. And uh, I mean, wouldn't you say that's a good philosophy for life? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, and I've tried to pass that on to the kids and do what you do and then do what you enjoy, but do it well and don't try to do more than is, you know, outside your comfort zone. Yeah. And one other thing I wrote down here that, that I, I kind of made the connection while you were talking is you had mentioned during your clinical work that more or less you were awarded for like your bedside manner and you kind of like excelled in that portion. And I would accredit that a lot to athletic training. I feel like we've talked on this show a lot that athletic trainers thrive in like that go, go, go environment. And so for you, it seemed like that first two years of like the book work and then you excelled in that clinical portion, probably because of your background. Without question. And I totally attribute it to my athletic training background. And, and like I say, you know, learning to deal with athletes and parents of athletes and, and all that as an athletic trainer just gave you a, le- a step up and a level of maturity that, you know, I enjoyed and was able to uh, um, portray and develop where others uh, were just coming out of school and just didn't have that uh, level of maturity and uh, hadn't had that experience. But I totally attribute that to my athletic training background. Absolutely. And as I I said at the beginning, things just fell in the right way, the right time. I mean, how would you be in the right place riding down an elevator with Spiker? Yeah. (laughs) Looking for a job. I mean, how crazy is that? Well, I know. And and Glenn, I've told you, I told you this story you know, before we started, because it's kind of the same thing with me. You know, I was student teaching and I I was finishing up. So I would stop by the training room on my way after school and I would just help out with spring football. And I I remember vividly walking in, I started taping somebody and and you were like in that little glass office that you had. (laughs) (laughs) And you were motioning to me to come in there and I go in there and he said, Hey, you still looking for a graduate assistant position? And I'm like, yeah. And he says, here, I want you to talk to somebody. And you gave me the phone and he said, you told me it was, you know, it's Frank Randall at Iowa state. And you know, I didn't know Frank Randall from Adam. And I, ne- I, I said, <laughs> hello, this is Jerry. And, and coach, everybody called him coach Randall. So coach Randall says, Hey, uh, Glenn tells me you're looking for a, graduate position and i'm like yes sir i am and and frank people know frank you know great guy he oh, he yeah. says well are you worth a shit <laughs> <laughs> i mean that was his exact words and i said yeah I, I i think i am and he said well you know glenn johnson's recommendation is good enough for me i'll, I'll see you here in august and i hung up and i remember you asked me how to go and i said well I, I think I have a graduate, but I'm not sure. I don't even know where Iowa is. <laughs> but like you said, it just happens, you know, and and it was the greatest two years of my I met my wife there, you know, so it was a great two years. I got my master's degree and, you know, yeah. and it, it just it's just how things work out in life, you know, so it was yeah. that was a lot of fun. And also before we let you go. I have to tell the Kujis because she doesn't know, but. 
I introduced Glenn and some of my athletic training colleagues to Julie and John Koloski's cooking on Sundays. You remember oh. those, Glenn? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we still talk about pepperoni rolls and, <laughs> and colicesinos. Yeah. Co- yeah, Glenn, oh, yeah. Glenn, we get pepperoni rolls shipped to our house. Yeah. No, no joke. No. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we used to. We'd have Sunday morning treatments after football games, and then yep. we'd get in the car and drive up to my mom and dad's yep. house, and Fair they'd one. make yeah. a big meal and all this stuff, and we'd eat and drink and laugh, and then we'd go down to the local bar down below and hang out for two well, or three could, hours. Well, can you really call it a bar? Well, it was, it was kind <laughs> of a bar. But that was, that was a lot of fun. I, you know, my mom used to always talk about that. You know, she used to... Yeah. Always talk. Oh yeah, Jerry used to have all of his friends come up from you know my days at WVU. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> well, I got one great story on you. Oh God, give it to us. Funniest stories on you was you were in town, had to be in Morgantown. Uh, UNLV was playing WVU in basketball. Yes, and Clark was the coach, and uh, we had hooked up on. Friday night, I guess it was, the game was on Saturday. I don't, but anyway, the night before the game or something, and you got to do bed check, and your sphincter was so tight. <laughs> bed check. Oh, you, and you know that was that was a terrible trip because that was we were number one in the country coming in there. Yeah, and Tark was a nervous wreck, and you know, and it, this was really I've said this before. I think it was when. Tark really changed his attitude toward me uh, because, you know, he didn't know me that well and didn't. Right. But every, every time we were there, that, that whole trip, he'd keep asking me questions like, well, what about this? And what about that? And, and, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I was, man, I, I was tight. I, I didn't enjoy that trip at all. I could, we got our ass kicked and I couldn't wait to get out of town. <laughs> well, what, why were you worried about doing bed checks? I had to do bed checks. That was a part of my responsibility. But why were you like tight about it? Because we, and, and this is the other thing. I told the guy who was our assistant AD at the time, you know, because I got there late. The schedule was already done. I think they already made the hotel arrangements. And when I saw that we were staying at the Holiday Inn right there by this thing, I remember, yeah. you know, and Tar- I told Tim Gergerich, who was Tark's assistant, I said, Gerg, that's crazy, man. You, that place has the biggest nightclub in town. Everybody goes there. And so the next morning of the day of the game, you know, all that night, the night before, all we kept hearing is, let's go Mountaineers at, at the hotel. And Tark came down the next morning and he's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, did you hear all that noise last night? <laughs> and I didn't say anything because I wanted to say, hey, I tried to tell you know, somebody that you probably shouldn't stay there. <laughs> well, were, were all trip. the guys in their beds when you checked? Well, yeah, but it, you know, it, West Virginia, you know, their, their students had a way of kind of keeping you up at night. <laughs> like it was a disaster, you know, and <laughs> the whole trip was terrible, <laughs> yeah. but, but I do that trip for me with Tark. Cause I remember when we got on the bus, we left after the game and went to Pittsburgh and yeah. then the next morning we flew back to Vegas. And I remember Tark saying, oh, Jerry, 
So first of all, I'm never playing there ever again. <laughs> but if I ever have to play there again, you need to tell us where to stay. <laughs> That's all he ever said. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. But that was well, fun. You were probably a student um, when Notre Dame came to play, and they were throwing green marshmallows at. Oh yeah, they were throwing them on the court. Oh my god! Well, if you remember in that West Virginia UNLV game, Danny Tarkanian was our point guard. You know, yeah. and, and he, he was, Danny was a great little athlete, great point guard and all that, but he got very, you know, emotional and passionate and, you know, right off the get go, he gets a foul and he kind of throws his arms up in the air, like to the officials. And then we just, the court just got pelted. I mean, <laughs> everything in the ice cups, everything was coming. Out. <laughs> oh, and, man. uh, yeah, that was I tell you what, though, that those are like memories that you always remember. You know that. And was, yeah. that th you can't get away with that these days. You throw a cup and someone's on you oh, immediately, yeah. and you're out of there. So. But I, I remember sitting down there. One of my memories of that day was sitting down there on that court, and you know all that the the you know coliseum was packed, and I'm thinking, God Almighty, how did I get here? You know, like, <laughs> I mean, it, I, it was just, it was so surreal. It's like, man, Real, yeah. you know, coming just, in foreigner to the, something that you were used to being at as a, as yeah, a old boy. It was just crazy. Yeah. Well, Glenn, I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time, my man. I, I really, it was great catching up with you and, um, for love it. And I'd like to finish one thing and one thought that one of the greatest prides I have is to see the successes that my student trainers have had in life. I appreciate it. And like I said, if it weren't for you, I, there's no way my career would have, but would have been what it had been. So uh, right so back nice at spend you. Time. Yes, yeah, it, it is. And give my best to Debbie. You know, we have an RV now. So if we're ever RVing through St. Louis, I'll definitely make sure I give you a call. Oh, please do. Okay. We're always forward to that. So. Yeah. All right, Glenn. Well, thanks Th a lot, Thank Glenn. you, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the short list. <laughs> you are. Believe me, you are the short list. <laughs> Take care, man. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Bye. All right. What a good episode. Storied career, as always. The guests just keep getting better, and they're going to keep rolling. So make sure you stay tuned and stay in with us. Yeah, thanks everybody for listening. And um, I, I think, you know, the last minute there of, of Glenn's reaction to how all of his students have done, that's kind of what it's all about. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's about the people that you teach and the, the mentoring that you do. And, and when, as in his case, like my case, he's getting toward the end of his career and you start reflecting on those things and it gets to be very emotional. So, uh, so good stuff, Glenn. Thanks for taking the time and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, wherever you're streaming this podcast, if you would be so kind as to give us a subscribe and maybe even a review. In addition, you can find us for any updates on social media, Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is at Cuddy and the Cooge. Cuddy with a C, Cooge with a K. Or you can email any questions or submit any feedback to Cuddy and the Cooge at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.